Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. The Mandarin Blueprint Podcast is a Q&A podcast. We answer questions from the Mandarin Blueprint Method course, which is expanding all the time. We're constantly answering people's questions on the course directly, sometimes with uh, screen share video responses, sometimes with quick uh, answers if it's easy, and then also on the podcast. We, we will talk about other questions from different sources, like a particularly interesting email or a community forum post, but the majority of the questions come from lessons on the course. So if you're unfamiliar with the Mandarin Blueprint Method, we provide a systematic way of learning Chinese that is character-focused, so individual Chinese characters are the compass by which we guide you through the language. And then we branch off into words that use characters you've already learned, and then put those words into sentences, put those sentences into paragraphs, put those paragraphs into stories. And you build the language through all sorts of different connections to your own personal experience, but also the language itself. And so that's what the Mandarin Blueberry Method is all about. And in each individual lesson, maybe we're teaching a character, maybe we're teaching a character component, perhaps it's words related to a character, people will share their suggestions, they'll also ask questions, they might have a question about a sentence, they might have a question about how to use a word, they might have a question about how to remember an individual character or how to pronounce something. So we cover all of these different elements of the language and we pick some of the best questions and comments each week to talk about on the podcast. So that's what we do here. And before we get into this week's comments and questions, I want to give you guys some updates on the uh, Mandarin Blueprint Method Advanced course and the Upper and upper Intermediate course. So this is my primary focus uh, at the moment is to try to get the advanced course finished. And so if you're new to the Mandarin Blueprint Method and you're not sure what this is all about, Currently, the Mandarin Blueprint Method course covers 1,530 characters, and it covers about 4,000 words. Now, this covers your foundational understanding of the language, the top 80%, because uh, like many languages, the most common words are used you know, way more than the uh, rare words. So if you learn the most important um, thousand words, that covers 80% of the language by frequency. Uh, and what I mean by by frequency is that if you imagine that there is a 1,000 character article, you would understand 800 of the characters in that article um, because they come up all the time. Like the most frequent character in the language duh, comes up all over any article you would look at because it's a basic possessive. So uh, that you just see it all the time. And so you learn the foundational stuff first. That's the top 600 characters and 1,000 words. And that's the foundation course, which we break it down into five phases. And this is the, in some ways, it's the most tricky part of the course, but it's also the most bang for your buck in a sense, because you're only learning 600 characters, you're only learning 1,000 words compared to what you will know, and that gives you such a return. And then we have the intermediate course, which takes you from 600 characters to 1,530 characters and adds another 3,000 words or so. The advanced course is going to take you from 1,530 characters to about 3,000 characters and close to 11,000 words. And that's enough for you to be able to pass the highest level HSK test. Uh, HSK being the Hanyu Shuiping Kaoshi, which is the Chinese as a second language test. Uh, it is not by any means a gold standard for your ability to, do, to learn Chinese, but really 
when you're looking to learn Chinese, the question is, how do you get from zero to being able to use native Chinese content? And what the advanced course will do is make it so that Mandarin Blueprint is all you need. Uh, you'll be able to learn the most important characters in the language, the most important words in the language, at which point learning new things will be possible in the same way you learn words in your native tongue. So, you know, I'm a native English speaker. I still learn new English words, but I don't need to study them in particular. I can just input the language from the various uh, things that I listen to, read, or uh, watch on a YouTube video, and maybe I'm watching some Stanford professor talk about molecular biology, and he'll use a bunch of vocabulary that I've never used before, but maybe I understand. And then suddenly, if I watch him enough, one day I'll actually output one of those words. And it's a very natural process. So you can actually get to that point with Chinese, which I would say is the ultimate success. Because once you reach a certain point where you can use the native materials, materials that are made for native Chinese speakers, and you can learn from that, without there being too many gaps in your knowledge, then you're essentially to the point where you never need to pay for some kind of online language training or a tutor or things like that again, because you've got the language itself and there's plenty of content in the language. So that's the goal of the Mandarin Blooper Method Advanced course. So what are the updates? Well, first of all, as many of you know, we're running a GoFundMe uh, to help us get the advanced course done uh, more quickly. So if you can imagine that, uh, you know, there's all these costs that come in, get involved in, um, you know, doing something like a, an advanced course, you have to uh, pay people to record sentences, you have to pay people to uh, write sentences in the first place. And um, there's a lot of time that it takes for me to organize everything for, for folks and whatever. And so we want to try to raise $50,000 by the end of November, which is the goal of releasing it by the end of November. And we've so far gotten a lot of uh, great support from people. It has slowed down a little bit uh, since the initial um, offering of the GoFundMe. So for any of you who would like to consider donating again, um, you know, it, it really helps us out. And also the other element to this is that for some of you, uh, you may not have yet donated $500, a total of $500. Uh, and if you do donate $500, we will give you access, early access to the upper intermediate and advanced course courses as they come out. And then, of course, when they're completely finished, you'll also have access to them. So any $500 donation or more will get you early access. And if you didn't, if you weren't already a lifetime access member, which is the majority of you, there's about 200 people who signed up for lifetime access back in August of 2020. Uh, but other than those folks, um, you know, it's it's you could think of it as a pre-order, essentially pre-ordering the advanced course, and it helps us make it and you know just be able to hire people to do the things necessary to. Uh, fund the course. I mean, you know, these things are not necessarily cheap to get the good type of um, work that we need on that. So uh, anyway, uh, if you'd like to do that, the GoFundMe link will be in the show notes. Now, let's talk about what actual updates we have here. So one thing is that this week we've finished the writing of all of the extra what we're going to call vocab boost lessons for the intermediate course. So in the intermediate course, there were about uh, two to three hundred words that we were going to add based on the new HSK list. So 
uh, the Hanban Institution at the Kongzi uh, Xueyuan, the uh, Confucius Institute. They're the ones who prepare the HSK test. And uh, about six months ago, uh, they announced that there's going to be a new version of the HSK test with new vocab lists. And then a couple months uh, ago, they came out with the actual lists. So we've been analyzing those lists. And one of the things that we found out was that there are certain words in the new HSKs 1, 2, and 3 that we should cover in the intermediate course that we hadn't yet covered. So uh, we are adding those in and we're calling those vocab boost lessons because they're made up of foundation course characters, but they are going to arrive in the intermediate course. And this vocab boost lesson concept is going to continue into the upper intermediate course and into the advanced course because, you know, it, with the foundation course characters, you can actually make over 5,000 words that are in the HSK. Now, we only introduce... 1,000 of them because the, those 1,000 are the highest frequency and those are the ones you want to learn first. You don't want to be wasting your time with something that is really high level when you haven't built up more of a foundation and you can understand things better through uh, paragraphs, opinions, and stories, and articles, and things like that. But those 4,000 words over the course of the intermediate course, upper intermediate course, advanced course, you want to get them into your arsenal, and they're fairly easy to learn most of the time. Uh, these vocab boost lessons are going to be the type of thing where it's like, okay, we're going to deepen your knowledge of some characters that you've already been familiar with for a while. You might have uh, learned them, say, in the foundation course of level 25, and then in level, say, uh, 55, you're seeing them reintroduced again in new, a new context, a slightly more advanced context that you're ready for by level 55. So it's, uh, you know, quite exciting. And so what this is going to do is add about um, 500 words to the intermediate course. And as I was saying before, the intermediate course is 1,531 characters and 4,000 words. It's actually going to be closer to 1,500 characters and I believe about oh, maybe 4,600 or so. And that will lead into the upper intermediate course. Now, the upper intermediate course has all of the uh, characters set through 1,531 to 2000 and that's the upper intermediate course which will get you through the hsks uh four five and six so by the end of the upper intermediate course you'll be able to pass any of the hsk tests between one and six now there are now nine it used to be there were only six levels but now there are nine levels so the advanced course will end up getting into level seven eight and nine um so the character order is set and the vocabulary is also set, including all the vocab boost lessons. So this includes uh, all of the foundation and intermediate course characters combined together to figure out which words come, in, come up in the HSKs 4, 5, and 6 from foundation and intermediate course characters. So you're learning the new characters from the upper intermediate course. You're unlocking... Uh, words and they're usually there's a few HSK 7, 8, and 9 words, but the majority are in the HSKs 4, 5, and 6. And then you're having these vocab boost lessons in between, which are based on the foundation course characters and the intermediate course characters that make up HSK 4, 5, and 6 words. That's why we can be sure that by the end of the upper intermediate course, when you know 2,000 characters, and at that point, I haven't actually calculated the amount of words, but I believe that it's in the 6,000-some range. Um, that's the point where you will be able to say for sure that uh, you can pass the HSK 6 and um, the HSKs 4 and 5 as well. So 
that uh, character order is set, and what I'm doing at the moment is kind of working between a few different tasks. So the one task that I'm doing is checking the sentences that are written by uh, our writer. Her name is Zhou Jing. And Zhou Jing, she has she writes when she can on the side. Uh, and this is part of why, like, if we can get more donations to the GoFundMe, we might be able to hire somebody to help Zhou Jing move a little bit faster. But she can spend about 15 hours per week writing sentences, and then I will check them and make sure that they uh, – don't have more than one top-down words. The majority of sentences don't have any top-down words, and then there's some that have uh, one, and then occasionally she'll write one and accidentally put in more than one top-down word. I'll just let her know, hey, we need to rewrite this sentence, and then you know she'll go back and, and fix it, and then we'll go from there. So at this point, she's nearly finished with the sentences from the uh, foundation course characters that are going to be added into the intermediate course. So that's uh, on its way relatively soon. Um, then there's about 110 characters, or sorry, words that need to be added to the intermediate course that include an intermediate character. So like, for example, uh, one of the first characters that we teach in the intermediate course is hai, which means sea or ocean. And one of the words that's in the HSK 2 and 3 is uh, da hai, and another one is hai bian, now, and another one is hai guan. So Dahai is just another word for a big body of water, um, and so it's not easy to learn, but it's one of those things that, again, if it's in the HSK, we should introduce it to you. Uh, Haibian means, like, along the coast, along the, the sea. It could be a beach, although not necessarily, because, you know, obviously a beach isn't um, not everywhere along where the land meets the sea is a, a sandy beach, but, um, you know, it's basically along the sea, Haibian. And then you have the Haiguan, which is uh, customs. So that's when you're coming from, you know, the U.S. to China. You have to pass through the Haiguan, uh, the customs officials there. So those are three words that the HSKs 2 and 3 have that we didn't include originally in the intermediate course. And so we're adding those in. And there turns out there's 110 of those words. So we're going to add those in as well. And she's going to write sentences for those. Once she's finished with that, then she can start working on the sentences for the upper intermediate course, levels 58 through 67. And so that kind of leads into the other thing that I'm doing, which is that for levels 57, uh, 58 and 59, I've already done this and I'm working on it in level 60, which is to look at each individual word and determine how many usages it has. So is it uh, a noun usage and a verb usage? Is it only verb usages, but they're different enough that they need to have their own sentences. Is it, um, you know, some mix of them, or is it just one usage? And, you know, what part of speech is it? Is it a noun? Is it an adjective, adverb? And because, we, of course, we keep track of this. And in the level review links, you can see how many nouns do I know? How many verbs do I know? How many adjectives do I know? So the process of going through these usages is key to understanding that you don't just know the word, you know the different ways you can use it. And it's also important to know that a word could be used as both a noun and a verb or both a, a verb and an adjective because you know you already have a sense at especially in the upper intermediate course about how to use nouns and how to use adjectives so just quickly being able to know oh, okay i can do that as both a verb and an ad uh, adjective is very helpful um so that is uh, quite a metic meticulous process and it's one of those things that um we need to do uh, luke and i need to do uh in this case i'm taking on this particular responsibility and uh, it's somewhat 
you know, labor intensive, but it's the kind of thing where within two or three working days, I can get a full level done and then have all the usages uh, set to go. Now, uh, so I'm working on that. And then in, I'm also starting to set up the character order for the advanced course. So the advanced course is going to get us all the way to 3000 characters at least. And there's a lot of new words. There's actually over 4,000, no, sorry, 3,300 words that come just from the foundation and intermediate course characters. There's about another thousand words that come from the upper intermediate, upper intermediate course characters. So there you're about 4,300 words. And then of course, there's all the words that are gonna be unlocked by the new characters you learn. Now, the new characters you learn often only unlock one or two words because naturally they're less frequent and less frequent characters they don't unlock as many words as, as you can naturally imagine. So uh, it will be a very fun challenge to see if we can get this done by the end of November. But uh, certainly, even if we're not done by the end of November, we're going to have a lot that we'll be able to uh, give you. And it's a very exciting time. I'm very happy to uh, give you so, many, so much positive uh, updates about this. And um, with that in mind, let's get into this week's comments and questions. And of course, let us know if you have any questions about the advanced course or how you can help. And of course, there's always that GoFundMe, uh, which will help us get it done faster. It's really just what it comes down to. So thanks very much. And let's get into the comments and questions. First comment today comes from the community forum, comes from Eja. And uh, Eja has actually been helping us get the uh, intermediate course stories done. That's actually another up update I want to give you guys is that the intermediate course long-form stories, which have we've been teasing for a long time, and I'm very sorry that they're not out yet. We've just run into various uh, confusions and problems, but we're getting very close now because we had this issue where the recording artists and the uh, text that we were using, they had made some suggestions of some updates, uh, and we accepted many of the suggestions, but then there was some confusion about which was the correct uh, final version of the text. And then there were also some genuine mistakes that they made. And so it was like, you know, it was a bit of a nightmare, but we've gotten through all that and made sure that the text and the audio are all uh, the same. And so now we're in the process of turning them into text tracking files and all of that. So they're going to be ready to go very soon. Um, okay. So let's talk about Ija's comment. Cause this is a great, uh, great comment about a success that she had. She says, just thought of sharing something here in case anyone needs a bit of motivation. I joined my first Chinese to English language exchange meet today, and because it was raining heavily and the temperature was 7 degrees, there were only three of us present during the meet. There were two Beijingers and me. I started talking, and of course, I was not at all surprised by their comment in the beginning. <laughs> That's just basically, wow, your Chinese is so good. And one of the first things people will say to you. <laughs> okay, she's continuing. She says, we kept talking for half an hour and the topic of children came into the picture. I had to leave my kids back home due to border restrictions and expensive childcare and jokingly said that the kids are now my liosho artong. And so liosho artong is a term that refers to the practice that's fairly common in China of parents leaving their kids with grandparents in the rural countryside while they go to the city. So like, you know, it's a, it's a bit sad in the sense that the parents are essentially not that involved in their children's upbringing uh, because they're in the city working, uh, but they kind of have to because it's the only way that they can make enough money. And uh, it's, you know, becoming less of a problem as time has gone on, uh, but it still is a phenomenon. And that's what's called a liosho artong. 
So artong is the more formal word for child. Usually you just say haizi or xiaohar, uh, but artong is like kind of the more formal word. And then uh, liu shou. So liu means to leave something somewhere, like uh, uh, liu gei ni yi feng xin. I, I left you a note uh, on you know the kitchen table or something, right? Uh, and then shou means to uh, safeguard or conserve. So leave and to safeguard the children, right? Leave this to safeguard the children with the grandparents usually. Okay, so he just says this, Liu Shou Artong, and she says, cue genuine surprise and amazement. And I was also genuinely surprised that they were surprised. <laughs> the conversation went on using 95% Chinese. And besides random vocabs like structured and practical, I guess I can finally say that I'm comfortable with using the language with real people outside of class settings. It still felt surreal because I started learning this language with zero motivation to talk. 90% of my language learning activity is still input-based. But just like what Gabriel Weiner experienced with his French, I experienced it with Chinese. This exchange also reminded me that being culturally aware is as important as knowing a language well. And you don't need to live in China to learn about China and its language. So what she's referring that to there with Gabriel Weiner's experience with French. So Gabriel Weiner is the author of Fluent Forever, and he's also the CEO of the Fluent Forever company that uh, does the Fluent Forever app, which is a great app, and we uh, you know support people using it. And uh, he had this experience where he was learning French the right way through input, through uh, mnemonics for individual words, and he really didn't do much speaking. But then he ended up having an interview in French uh, after three months. And he was uh, surprisingly good at outputting the language. Um, you know, he said, he of course, wasn't perfect. And he, you know, flubbed a few things and whatever, but he essentially was able to communicate despite having never really outputted before. And this is why I'm so glad that uh, Ija is bringing this up because input really should always be your guiding principle. You can always spend some time speaking and improve the fluency of your output. But the ability to output in the first place. The, another way to put that is having something to say at all is something that you can only get by properly inputting the language as Ija has been doing, right? So let's go get to her final suggestion. She says, so don't fret, Pengyuman. Keep on consuming your comprehensible input and don't force yourself to speak if you're not ready. One day, You'll get to use your Chinese, and you'll be surprised at how much you've acquired subconsciously. Absolutely. You're always surprised at how much you've acquired when you are in the situation. Because, you know, many in, for many of us, especially if we're not in China, the call to speak Chinese doesn't come up very often. So you may not, on a daily basis, have a need to uh, speak the language. But uh, when you approach it in this way, as Ija has been uh, advocating for and as we advocate for, when the situation arises, there's a Chinese person there and it's time to talk, uh, you'll be amazed at what your mind can come up with. There's this sort of thing that people will talk about too. Uh, sometimes when they're in emergency situations, they'll find themselves able to speak a language better because you know, our brains can sometimes really rise to the task if you just leave them in the right language learning environment. So uh, thanks so much to Ija for sharing that uh, 
major milestone. It's fantastic. And everybody else keep on doing that comprehensible input. Next, we have a question from Jessica M in the community. So this one's a little bit uh, not maybe as positive as Aegis was, but it's interesting. So she says, hey, I'm interested in anyone's input on scene rot, or more specifically, my rot as the director of the scenes. I'm at 1400 characters. My scenes on average have been stupider and stupider, which is in part driven by the meanings becoming more and more abstract and some keywords repeating. So my scenes are really stupid. I've become a rotten director that shoots low budget crap. Now some of these scenes stick like glue. Others are terrible and disappear faster than all of the made for TV movies shot last year you'll never see. I know I can just reshoot them, some I do, but the scenes are so stupid because I'm out of ideas for most of them. How do I keep on finding new non-overlapping scenes for new characters? Realistically at 1400, I'm only halfway there. I also realize that at some point, characters will stick even faster than they are now and won't even need scenes for many uh, or m even most characters. So there's a lot to say about this. Uh, certainly, this idea of uh, scene rot is not a unique phenomenon. I think everybody will kind of go through it at some point um, because, you know, there's a lot of different scenes to make and you're trying to get to the idea. Now, the first thing I would say is uh, compared to what? That's an important uh, element to this. You always want to ask, well, what's better? Imagining a poor scene that's in a set that you assign to an opinion final, that's with a person that you assign to opinion initial, that's in a room that you assign to a Mandarin tone, that has objects you assign to the character components, and maybe the way they interact is kind of lame. That is, in and of itself, far better than writing it over and over. Writing the character over and over, right? Now, learning a character is not just that, though. It's then using the character in context of words, then using those words in the context of sentences, and then eventually you'll have them in larger contexts even than that. And so you don't really learn a character in its entirety when you make the movie. So we first want to just establish what are we comparing you know, a poor movie to. A poor movie uh, in the hands of movie method is still leagues better than any kind of rote memorization. So there's that. Now, I'll mention that first. Second, uh, the judgment of it is uh, a little bit like, well, it's very internal. So I would suggest to Jessica that maybe you don't have such a negative self-talk about it because nobody is seeing these movies except for you. And so if some of them, like for example, you said here, now some of these scenes stick like glue. Those aren't stupid then, right? The ones that stick like glue, judging them as stupid is just, uh, well, I mean, it's not even true because nobody else is seeing them. We're not doing this for critical acclaim by somebody like Siskel and Ebert, right? We're just trying to remember the character. So if you remembered the character, you succeeded and it seems uh, counterproductive to say that the thing that helped you succeed was stupid. Um, and also, I just think that stupid in general is not an, a helpful adjective because it's really just a question of effectiveness. Was it effective or ineffective? Um, and so if the scene didn't help, uh, helpfully remember, help, didn't successfully help you remember the meaning of the character, uh, then there's an element of it that needs to be reshot. But then there's also, as you quite correctly pointed out, you may be able to pick up the 
use of the character simply by the context that gets surrounded it gets surrounded by and like you know you are in this intermediate plateau area like this is kind of the stage where you haven't quite gotten to the point of mastery of all the important characters so you can't just pick up any little piece of chinese and uh, learn something from it necessarily. Like, there's going to be some Chinese. It's just too advanced for where you are at now. So you're definitely an intermediate, but it's also uh, not the point yet. It is the point where you feel like you've gotten all of the low hanging fruit. So that can be a frustrating middle ground to be in. And so obviously the solution is just to continue forward and continue to try to remember the individual uh, characters and then see them in context. But, uh, you know, and, and then the other thing to do is not to have such a generalization about it. So, for example, you know, I'll run into while I'm doing the usages, while I'm picking usages for different words. Some characters and words have so many meticulous usages, and I might have to spend 10 to 15 minutes on one word just trying to figure out what are the usages that are necessary, what are the ones that we can let go because they're super free, uh, infrequent and you won't really need them, um, you know, what are the ones that... Uh, we should make small distinctions about or whatever. And then there's other ones where it's like, this is just a noun. And all I have to do is just put in that it's a noun and then move on, right? And so there is a phenomenon of scene rot that's happening, but it's not happening with all your characters. And there's plenty of characters that have a clear enough meaning that isn't abstract that you're learning. It's just that they're low frequency. Like it's like, you know, the character for apricot is low frequency, but it's not hard to understand what an apricot is, right? So like, yes, there are abstract things that are coming in naturally. You're getting more advanced, so there's going to be more abstract meanings. But remember, you can always review again our uh, articles about how to turn the abstract into something a bit more concrete. Usually you just have to link it to a few other, make a few links to something that's more tangible and grabbable and you know you can interact with and then that thing needs to be a representation of uh the abstract concept but there's many things that are representations of abstract concepts so uh there is the possibility of having a kind of self-defeating talk about it and so um my suggestions would be to drop the um adjectives that are judgmental about your intelligence because they just don't make any they're not helpful. It's just effective or ineffective. And then uh, second, remember the all the other contexts that you're going to be able to use to uh, master the character. Third, uh, focus on how to um, get abstract meanings into something tangible. Reread our article on script triggers. Reread our article on special effects uh, and try to utilize some of those. Uh, you know, you, I'm sure you've read them before, but read them again. They'll, they'll give you some more examples. You'll get even more uh, comprehension of how to utilize many of these different tools. So um, those are my three uh, primary suggestions. And I think that you'll find that as you get through the intermediate plateau and get to the other side of it, you'll not find, like you say, learning new characters to necessarily even need a mnemonic scene because your surrounding context is so robust. But thank you to Jessica. It was a great uh, topic of discussion for sure. Next, we have Soren Korsbeck on vocab unlocked from Chuan. So here's a sentence. 你把这些菜穿起来. What does this one mean? 你把这些菜穿起来. So 
it's a ba sentence. So we're basically taking the object, putting it in front of the predicate, the verb, what happens to it, and just explaining what happens to the object. So in this case, the object object is this food, these dishes. You could say these dishes, uh, but it's more food in this case. Ni ba so what does that mean? Well, you can look at this character and you know what it is. It's a stick with food on it. That's It's a pictograph, right? So it's basically saying take that uh, this food and put it on the stick one by one. And so you create kebabs, basically. And so or as they'll often say in Beijing, uh, is the actual stick, but it's also the action of putting the meat and different um, vegetables on the stick. So it's both a noun and a verb. It's like I was saying before about the different usages. You need to, you know, you look at you know for sure it's a verb form because you don't, you can never put a noun before chilai. Like chilai is just basically saying like to bring about or come give rise to. So, uh, you know, um, once you've done it, you've, you've chilai'd it. You've gotten it, uh, you've given rise to the kebab, which is, uh, you know, of course... Uh, silly, but yeah, that's the idea there. Tina Clark on bonus helper completed actions with le. She says, "Whoa, now I understand the GW tags in the Anki deck. What they're all about. You guys are brilliant. Thank you so much for all these, all the thought and organization you put into this course. Yeah, she's just referring to the uh, grammar tags that we add to the sentences in the foundation course. You know, which is mostly just to give you a sense of the different patterns that exist in Chinese grammar. But I, you know." Uh, we're going to talk about this in the next sentence with Ryan as well, but like, man, Chinese really doesn't need a lot of grammar focus. It's one of the most incredibly uh, intuitive languages for learning grammar, just because there's not all this, you know, there's no declensions and there's no uh, word form changes. And, you know, you don't change the form of the word depending on what context you're talking about. Like, for example, my, uh, my girlfriend is Serbian and she, her name is Mina. But you could be, you could say a bunch of different words for her name, depending on what the context is in which you were talking about her. Were you talking about her in the past? Were you talking about her in the third person? Were you talking about her in the future? Uh, are you giving something to her? Like it's like all these different ideas, and that can change the form of her name. Like it's not even just like go, gone, went, uh, you know that type of thing. It's like uh, if I were called Phil or Philly or Philus uh, or something like that, right? It's like all these changes that can happen in certain languages. None of that happens in Chinese. It's just a matter of moving the characters around or adding new characters in. Uh, that's it. So it's like a puzzle. And as a result, I don't think that grammar learning is actually all that important, but we like to, um, you know, just point out a few things and go, okay, look, there's these uh, grammar patterns that you can see here and we tag the sentences accordingly. Uh, but uh, yeah. Now, with that said, let's move on to Ryan's uh, point that he makes at the end of level 16, because he brings up grammar here a little bit. He said, I would say that at this point, I've crossed the honeymoon phase with sentences to where now the path to the end of the foundation course feels uphill again. I can understand pretty much all the sentences I read, but as someone who loves to nerd out over grammar, which neither Luke nor Phil seem to like to do, 
I feel a little weird about just picking up sentence structure and grammar from seeing and hearing sentences over and over. I love getting into grammar terminology and diving deep into grammatical structures. In my ideal world, there are more grammar lessons that I can apply to the sentences I'm working with so I can have a deeper understanding. However, I fully understand the merits of this approach and that many people probably do not do well with more dense grammar lessons. I know the acquisition process works, so at this point I'd say I'm just trusting the process. Thank you both for all that you are doing. So this is, of course, Ryan has said before that he particularly likes grammar and he finds it to be uh, a kind of fun intellectual math of, of figuring out how things work. And that's fine. You know, like there's definitely um, a joy in that. And remember, Ryan, there's always the uh, Chinese grammar wiki, which was made by um, John Pasden, uh, who's the same guy who is a part of the... Uh, um, Mandarin Companion books along with Jared Turner and you know that is a great resource the Chinese Grammar Wiki I mean I think that you'll find it more useful the later you get into the course but and and I mean we do have plans at some point to expand our grammar materials uh, they're not the most high priority plans because we want to first get the advanced course done and then uh, we have other plans uh, but nonetheless though expanding our grammar materials is something we are looking into and the thing is you're pointing out a phenomenon, which is that real language acquisition is unconscious and feels slow. It's not actually slow. It's the fastest way you can get to uh, language output is to get comprehensible input. Um, it just feels slow because when you learn a grammar point, you feel like I tangibly learned something right now. But that is not the same thing as being able to use it. In fact, the gap between understanding a grammar point intellectually and using it in conversation is often tremendous. So it's one of those things where uh, when we, we know that people like the feeling of grasping a grammar point intellectually. So part of us goes, well, you should, we should have some grammar lessons then, right? But then uh, another part of us goes, you know, the real acquisition process does not involve stopping all the time to ask why. Uh, you didn't learn your native language that way, and there's nothing that is fundamentally changed about your brain so much that you must intellectually understand it. Um, you know, and I would even argue that your intellectual understanding of it is giving you a deeper understanding of the linguistics of the situation, not necessarily a deeper understanding of the language. Um, you know, your deepest understanding of the language comes from conversations that you have with people and, and input and seeing something on TV that makes you realize, oh, that's how that is. Like, that's what gives you deeper understanding. It's not like saying, like, in Chinese, with the ba sentence, you put ba before an object, and the object then has a verb applied to it, usually with a resultative complement. It's like, oh, my God, you know, it, it, that, how is that going to make you use ba? in a sentence properly because there's way too much thinking that has to go on around that and that's not how you speak you don't think everything out in meticulous order before you speak you, you just start speaking and so um i'm while i totally get the adult desire for understanding on the intellectual level of why something is structured the way that it is uh, it doesn't actually move you towards your, towards your goal faster. And I, I'm interested in people getting fluent in Mandarin. Like, that's what I'm interested in. I'm not so interested in people becoming uh, great at linguistics, although I'm not against it. I'm just 
that's not my role, I don't think, and it's not Luke's role. We're, our role is to help you get fluent and literate in Mandarin as soon as you can, you know. Um, and so I do think that we'll add more grammar uh, points at some point because we do get it. It's like, at the end of the day, people want to feel like they're moving fast, even if they're not moving fast in reality. So uh, that matters. It matters in terms of your uh, speed and your, your sense of the process. So... Thank you, though, Ryan, for that. That's a great uh, point and a great topic. Chris Lewis on zhexie or zhexie in context. Why in some of the pronunciations does zhe sound like zhe instead of the French word for me, zhe, or Pleco's pronunciation? Na bien, in this example from a few lessons ago, same question, ne bien. In our Anki decks, they make it sound more like ne. Yeah, so I don't know if Chris, maybe Chris didn't do the Pronunciation Mastery series. Um, we talked about this in Pronunciation Mastery, that uh, zhe and na, depending on their context, can be also be pronounced j and ne. Uh, there are situations where you do not use the a ending. For example, um, uh, with juli, uh, juli, or nali. You don't, or, or nali, uh, you don't use it in that context. But when you're saying, um, uh, for example, jugo, you'll actually more commonly say jago or nago, right? Versus nago, 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 jago, right? That's much more common in terms of day-to-day -day speech. Um, so usually when it's on its own before a measure word and, or you could, and you know, when you think of like bien, uh, bien, that, that's pretty much a measure word because it's basically saying that side. Uh, side of what? Okay, yeah, it could be uh, side of a building. It could be side of a situation or whatever. But it's still, in that case, essentially coming before a measure word, in which case, yeah, you're going to have the EI final a lot more commonly than you'll have the initial one. But it's never wrong to say bien versus bien or bien versus bien or jugo versus jago like they're right you're not wrong to say it and people will understand you uh but it just you end up sounding a little bit formal and it's unnecessary so like uh that's really what it comes down to keith travis on level 21 complete he says something rather rather accidentally brilliant happened as i began to struggle under the mental weight of the sheer volume of daily new sentence cards i'd unlocked from anki and it began after a few days to really pile up Full strength. Oops, my mind was fatigued. I had thought reading would be easier by far than listening. I was so sluggish and it was so taxing, especially relative to the volume, but I didn't want to back down. Yesterday evening, I closed my eyes and just skipped directly to each sentence's Anki pronunciation and tried to figure out the sentence out that way instead of reading it first. Just sort of kept shielding my eyes from each new card as it popped up. It was fantastic, still a challenge, yet in a direction that refreshed my mind, and, better yet, I referred to the Chinese hanzi and not the English in order to validate my comprehension. Imagine that, cheating by reading Chinese in order to confirm the listening. I think I should perhaps credit one of Luke's videos emphasizing both bottom-up and top-down approaches, and perhaps this very tactic was suggested elsewhere and I missed it. Notwithstanding, I'd felt I'd begun to encounter a massive hurdle at this stage, still unable to translate even the Chinese version theme song to Doraemon. <laughs> Within all of about 48 hours, the hurdle seems to have simply shrugged off as to how to 
how to continue proceeding with abundant mental energy. Such a little thing as that is now making all the difference. Yeah, you know, what I take away from this is that when it comes to input, you're getting lots of new things coming in and it can at times feel fatiguing. But what does that fatigue represent really? Well, one thing is that maybe you should change a tactic a little bit. And that's of course what Keith did and that re-energized him. So like that's one possible interpretation of your fatigue. So the first step is to be aware and the second step is to be aware of of what might be the correct response to whatever you've noticed. So you notice you're fatigued while getting loads of different comprehensibly uh, comprehensible sentences, and then you ask yourself, what could that fatigue mean? One of the other possible meanings of the fatigue could be that you're about to get it, right? So you've built up a certain amount of tolerance at a certain level, or I, maybe I shouldn't say about to get it, about to have a breakthrough where things get easier because sometimes when you're most frustrated and you're most tired is the reason is because you've been stuck at a certain level and you're, you're kind of full to the brim of that level. And that's because you're just about to get to the next, you're about to level up sort of. And in my experience, this happens all the time. And so that can be a very useful thing to know because then you say to yourself, well, okay, I'm feeling fatigued, but that could be good news. Right. And so, our natural instinct to feeling fatigue is to go, oh, this is a negative, right? But it could have a silver lining that's just about to reveal itself. Um, and so Keith's experience here is just a good way of illustrating that. So thanks for sharing that, Keith. I appreciate it. Next, we have Lynn Ford on level 28 complete. Seeing that we are ready to switch the languages on our phones and computers to Mandarin is scary to read, but in a really good way. I have trusted Luke and Phil thus far on my Chinese journey, and so just changed my phone over to Mandarin, and will be doing the same on my laptop shortly. I feel like I am taking a very real-world leap, switching everything over. Three months ago, I knew nothing about Mandarin. I didn't even know what a pinyin chart was. Today, I am reading short stories and changing my electronics to Mandarin. Wow. Mandarin Blueprint is just amazing. I lack the time and words currently to express how grateful I am for this course, but rest assured, I'll be doing so in the future. Thank you. Well, Lynn, I'm so excited for you. That's incredible progress in three months. And, um, you know, that switch to Mandarin on your phone and on your computer is, um, it's a brave one. You know, it's like, oh, I want to use my phone though. And is it, is it going to be so difficult to use if I switch it over? Uh, but when you do it, you know, it's sink or swim. You got to figure things out. And just like a kid, when they're at their computer for the first time trying to figure out how to play the computer game, you know, they might not even be able to totally read yet, but they'll figure it out. They'll, you know, find the patterns and they'll look around the computer because they want to use it. They want to get to that video game, right? So uh, it's uh, great that you're feeling that right now. And for those of you who are listening who haven't yet changed your phones over to Mandarin and, uh, you know, Chinese simplified, we should say. Uh, and your computers, if you haven't switched them over to Chinese Simplified yet, you know, is today the day? Maybe today's the day you make that difference because it's really going to help. It's going to help you get more attuned with the day-to-day -day Mandarin. Matt Schubert on Make a Movie for Yung. I almost didn't notice that we're at 400 characters until I saw the comments. What a cool milestone. It's wild to think I could sit down and write 400 Chinese characters. Yeah, you're well on your way. It's, uh, you know, that is a good thing to do every now and then. Just, just say to yourself, wow. What can I tangibly do? And the answer is a lot. And it's not even just, 
it's it, it's not just 400 characters it's also 400 characters in the words they can create which is also you know those connections are really important so uh well done matt george on you did it which is the final uh lesson in pronunciation mastery george says pronunciation was the primary problem area that led me to mandarin blueprint i finished the lessons for this but still have a lot of anki reviewing to do i feel i've probably gone through the lessons too quickly so i'm going to restart and go th through it all again while continuing my anki reviews the module is certainly helping me and as i go through the anki reviews i'm finding that though i may initially focus on the on for example getting my tones right I suddenly realize my tongue is not correctly curled or positioned behind my lower teeth. It's interesting how the different aspects of pronunciation awareness build up, leading, hopefully, to reasonably accurate pronunciation. This module has been so much better than the usual, here's the pinion chart, learn it. Okay, next. <laughs> well, that's certainly what we were going for. And uh, pronunciation mastery is uh, probably the only one of our courses that I would say uh, good if you're going to go through it again. You know, like, obviously... You know, there's part of me that goes, just uh, take it meticulously through the first time. You only have to do it once. But uh, considering that Mandarin pronunciation is so relatively short, going through it twice is uh, well worth it. And uh, it'll just help your pronunciation be even better. So that's awesome. Chris Lewis on level 21 complete. He says, in Canada, I took French immersion for seven years and graduated high school with the ability to think and dream in French. For fun, in university, I took a French translation course, and wow, did that open my eyes. So many idioms, like, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, don't literally translate to the same thing in French, knowing the verbs and nouns. I think I'm starting to think in Chinese, and as much as I love to see if I've translated the sentence correctly, as you say, it may be holding me back. But I'm only finishing level 21, so I look forward to future levels. Keep up the great work, guys. Yeah, so, I mean, like, level 21 is still pretty early. I mean, like, the fact that you're starting to think in Chinese is pretty impressive, actually, at level 21. Uh, and I think that as you continue to build up your uh, different um, characters and words and you get to that point where you know a whole lot, you're going to find yourself... Um, also dreaming in Chinese. I certainly have many dreams in Chinese. And Chinese idioms also are uh, different from English idioms for sure, but they often make a lot of sense if you know the characters. And it's like, this is one of those things that I find um, so important to understand about learning a second language is that it changes your perception of how to get across meaning quickly because they just chose different things. Like, you know, I'll scratch you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours is like, okay, um, that's certainly one way of expressing an idea. Um, but being able to say like, you know, uh, some, I'm trying to think of a Chinese idiom. That's the same as that one. Uh, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but being able to just say a Chengyu, uh, and say like, or, uh, something like that is, is the kind of thing that you will realize like, there's such a profundity to the human experience that is universal across different languages, but we find different ways of expressing it and having those new different ways of expressing the sort of um, incredible experience of being alive is uh, it's just a, it's, it's a great privilege. And so anybody learning a new language is um, you know, you'll be very happy to experience that. So um Thanks so much to Chris for sharing that. Kate Cannon on level five complete. She says, if you build a poor foundation, everything on top of it is shaky. 
Gaps have to be filled that have been built, uh, built over, steps repeated, and progress slows rather than picking up speed. Slow, slow, slow in the beginning, laying each element with attentiveness, accelerating over time, culminating in a well-crafted structure you can inhabit and embellish. I wish more people understood this. I see so much rushing when people are trained or taught in work and schools, and it all rolls out as quickly as it went in. Take your time at the start. It will pay off. I completely agree, Kate. That's very well said. And we know this. We know that when we built the course, that the first the first two phases, we have a video lesson for every little thing that we explain in detail, and we, in we encourage you to watch all of them. And it's the kind of thing where we know that if you do that, then in phase three, we don't have to have as many videos because you get the idea. And uh, it's so important in the early stages to just take your time. There's no, like, it's, the way to get there fastest is not to rush. You know, rushing, like, I, I like it as an adjective because it gets across the idea that it's like, it's like fast but low quality, right? And so in the long run with a big project, you can't just do fast but low quality all the time because eventually that low quality is going to come home to roost. And so therefore, it will ultimately end up taking you longer because you're going to have to keep circling back. And so with that in mind, you know, you're doing uh, very well to uh, take your time in the beginning. So if you're in the early part of the course or you're in the free trial, just go ahead and uh, slow down. <laughs> Alfred Hong on Make a Movie for Song. He says, hi, Luke and Phil. The character as displayed in the computer font, Song, appears to look different to how it is written as per the stroke order guide. In the front, there appears to be two water drops on the far left component and the horns are pointing down. What's up with that? Thanks. So this is a phenomenon that relates to different fonts and the unicodes that they have for uh, kanji, traditional characters. There's a Korean script uh, and there's some different Chinese scripts. And uh, they're often, they often have slight differences. So whatever script is installed on Alfred's computer is showing one that is, you know, sometimes Guan will have the horns almost like closer to like the Ba component where they're kind of facing down. And then uh, certain traditional character scripts will have two dots over the road component as opposed to just one. And um, what's frustrating about this is that this isn't something that necessarily shows up uh, on somebody else's computer. So like when Alfred sends this song looks just like the stroke order gift and it gif and it's fine. So you really just want to make sure you have the right font installed. It's quick Google, uh, just to make sure you have mainland Chinese simplified Chinese, uh, fonts installed. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the basic idea. And Giles on make a movie for Dui, And this is the Dui Huan the Dui, uh, not the correct Dui. And so she says, when I search, Use doi in a sentence. I get doi huan. Can you offer a couple of examples of doi used in a sentence? Perhaps differentiating it from doi is incorrect. If so, thanks. So the first thing I would say is that this doi is not a character, is not a word in and of itself. It's just a morpheme. So it's not a, you know, if you're going to use it in a sentence, you have to combine it with another word, another character in order to create a word. So like the two most common words and the only two words in the HSK that include this character are dui huan, and which is exchange, like exchange money, uh, exchange RMB for US dollars. Uh, and then there's dui xian, which is to cash a check 
right? Which is becoming less and less of a relevant word. But you're getting the, that's the idea behind this character. Now, uh, why then would we teach it at character number 23 if it's such a rare character and it doesn't even come up until the HSK 7, 8, and 9? And the answer is that uh, it's the most important component in the character Shuo, which is, of course, super highly frequent because it means to speak. So you have to put the uh, the horse before the cart, as it were, and uh, make sure that when you're learning characters, there's not just the angle of how many words does this character unlock. It's also how many characters does this component unlock? And so many characters are also components. Dui is a character, but it's also a component, and it's a component in some really important high-frequency characters. So we have to, to learn it early so as not to put the cart before the horse. And uh, hopefully that makes sense. Next, we have Julie Lund on Tian in Context. She is asking about this sentence. 我天天做有氧运动。Yoyang is cardiovascular exercise. She says, in this sentence, why do we need yundong after yoyang? Should I see it as cardio exercise? In English, it's normal to just say cardio, and the fact that it's an exercise is implied. So would it be possible to omit yundong if the context implies that it's gym related? So here's the thing. There's nothing unreasonable about that idea, uh, but there's something about it that uh, doesn't that doesn't feel right to me. Um, like, because simply saying yoyang just means has oxygen. And so has oxygen exercise is essentially what we're saying there. But there isn't actually any reference to uh, vascular. Like, we'll say cardiovascular exercise. And so you could argue that the word cardiovascular exercise is a bit more specific in the sense that it's saying, okay, Although, I mean, cardiovascular exercise, it, it, it's, I guess it's implied that you need a lot of oxygen in order to work the cardiovascular system, right? But in English, we emphasize that it's the cardiovascular system that's getting exercised. In Chinese, they emphasize that it's oxygen-related. So I guess aerobic exercise is the more accurate trans, translation. So we might say aerobics or aerobic exercise, uh, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone say in a gym context, uh, yoyang by itself. So yoyang, yundong, just feels more correct to me, but I'm going to go ahead and say that it's, uh, I'm not 100% sure of that answer, but it's just I don't have any uh, recollection of ever hearing anybody say that, and it's not exactly the same as cardio. It's more like aerobic. Julie Lund on Mei Tian in context. Wo Mei Tian. Would you say that do is put into the sentence to emphasize that wo really does sing every day? Because wo mei tian chang feels like I is just stating that he or she sings every day. Right. So this do after a quantity of more than one. So there's a tian, that's one tian, and then you won't say do in that case. But as, as soon as you say more than one, you say liang tian, zhe uh, liang tian. Uh, I'm going to go to the park these two days, um, both of these two days. And uh, here we have 我每天都唱歌, uh, and that is, in my opinion, that's something that is uh, very common to say. You'll, you will usually put the 都 in there, and I guess you could argue that it's emphatic 
on the sense that uh, this is a daily activity that you never miss. But on the other hand, this is just a common thing in Chinese. It's just a very common thing to put do after uh, um, something more than one that you're counting and you want to say that the thing applies to all of them, right? Whatever it is that you're commenting on, you know, uh, there's two days and all of them or both of them are gonna, I'm going to the park. There's three days and all of them I'm going to the park. There's just this sort of, uh, there's, there's five kittens and all of them are eating right now, right? It's just sort of this sense of if there's more than one, you'll put in do and if it works for you to think of it as an emphasis so that you say it more often, uh, I think that that'll be fine. But what will also come up for you for you is that you'll just hear it all the time. Like people use it all the time. So I think that that will be enough for you in the end. Tina Clark on Silai in context. In 我想起来就生气. What makes it I get angry whenever I think about it and not I recall getting angry? Thank you. So 我想起来. 就生气. Think of the sentence in that division. So, 想起来 happens, right? There's something that the thought arises. Like, that's what's cool about 想起来, because it uh, reminds you the nature of thought as it is. It just arises, and 起来 means to give rise to out of nowhere. So, uh, 想起来就生气. Uh, this is like a great like meditation uh, sort of sentence because it reminds you the nature of most emotion like you have a thought that arises out of nowhere and it instigates a feeling now the jiu is what indicates that this is i get angry whenever i think about it uh you know it the thought arises and then jiu sheng qi comes after it and that's the context in which jiu is used here it's just to try to say that event happens xiang qi and then, 就, anger, 生气, or the arising of anger. And so, uh, that is, you know, 我想起来. If you say, 我想起来, uh, that could mean I recall. Um, but it, it's not, it, it, in this context, because of the 就, it's, it's separated the sentence. So, like, there's a thought that arose, 起来, and then I got angry, as opposed to I recall getting angry, because getting, where would you get the getting from? Like, that's the, the problem with that translation. 就 certainly doesn't translate to getting, but it can translate translate to then or as a result of, like, the thing that came right before it. So think of it like that. Matt Schubert on showru in context. This is more of a cultural question and not a grammar one, but I'm curious about this sentence. In your experience, is this an acceptable question to ask in China? So the sentence means, what's your salary? What's your yearly salary? I think it would come off as quite rude in a lot of English-speaking countries to ask this outright, even to friends. Yeah, this is definitely an interesting cultural tidbit uh, here because, you know, in Chinese the, in, and in China, this is not remotely rude to ask about. Uh, and I think it's because status in China is, it's not like it has nothing to do with money, but it has less to do with money than it does in the States uh, or in Western countries. Like I think a lot, but in, really in the States in particular, because, you know, uh, status in, in England, like English, England has a history of being more, class-based uh, than the U.S. is. But in the U.S., you know, 
figuring out your social status has a lot to do with how much you make. And so to some degree, we are afraid that you're judging our social status when you ask our income and we don't like it. We're like, don't judge my social status. Well, maybe I'm fine, even if I don't make as much as you, or maybe I make more than you and you know, whatever. But in China, I don't think they... I think they base their status a bit more on family. It's not to say that like somebody who does really well in, um, you know, who does really well in a, in a company and then like, you know, Jack Ma, although I guess he's not necessarily the best example considering that he lost some of his status with the government. But like, you know, it's not to say that your performance or your salary or whatever couldn't potentially change your perceived status it's just that i think that status tends to be a little bit more associated with who you know and your relationship network and your family and that type of thing and so it's just not as rude of a question because i don't think people interpret it that way that's just me speculating a little bit but i can say for sure that it's totally an acceptable question in china uh and uh you know people just tend to they, they don't understand why we think it's so personal it's kind of funny they're like why who cares it's just whatever just what it's just what it is just you make a certain amount and uh that's uh, just how it is and so why why hide that but then you know uh so yeah it's just one of those weird things matt schubert on cool in context i'm really surprised there's not any other comments on the last sentence in this lesson because to me this was a lot to unpack and really difficult to logic out to get the translation so the sentence is 为了孩子父母 I translated the first set bit, as for the sake of their children, but this translation of the phrase given is as long as it's for the children. Is the idea that there's a missing ruguo or yaoshi there to make it conditional? We'll get to that. Thanks to Abigail's comment, I figured out this is saying something like no matter how emotionally difficult still, is that correct? The shu de pattern I'm okay with, but is tian a normal way to say something like this? The top-down def definition is given given is sweet, and I know often these words have a more poetic or abstract meaning in Chinese, but that seems like a stretch to me to mean okay. Would using something like bu or hai hao be much different in meaning? Sorry for all the questions, and I know some of this is probably partly answered in context of the later story. But this is one of those sentences that I am just having issues making a connection with even when it's translated for me. Thanks. So I would say that the biggest um, element to this is that it's not that tian, meaning sweet, uh, can be translated as meaning okay. Although certainly you could think of like that's sweet being a positive thing. But this lesson is for cool, which is the character that means bitter. So it's more of an opposites thing that's happening here. So uh there, if what we're contrasting is bitter and sweet or things that are difficult to deal with, cool, hardships, suffering, bitterness, versus things that are easy to deal with, sweetness and light and all of that, right? So the sentence is saying, So means kind of like, if there's even more bitterness that comes out, if there's even more suffering, if there's uh, again and again there's suffering, uh, they'll also, they'll still, yeah, feel that it's sweet. So because it's their children. So like it's for their children 
And, um, you know, the translation of as long as it's for the children kind of makes sense to me, but I could see how you could just say for their children. But, I, I you know, I, I can see how, like, if you just said for their children, no matter how hard things are, parents will think it's okay. Uh, I think it makes more sense to say as long as it's for their children. So um, it's just one of those things where there's not a perfect, like, if you do the literal translation, it sounds weird in English. So we like to do... Um, we don't like to do literal translations. We prefer to do, uh, you know, translations that are um, what it really means. So that's the idea there. So like the zai ku ye tianda is just, you know, the tian is because it's the opposite of ku. And um, the as long as it's for the children is an emphasis in the fact that, you know, raising kids is hard and there's lots of difficulty to it. But in the end, we all feel that it's sweet because it's our kids, right? So... Uh, that's the idea there. Chris Lewis on Zhang Xiang in context. In this sentence, ta zhe zhong Zhang Xiang is zhong, a measure word for looks because it's a type of thing. No, not particularly. Zhong can be a measure word for anything that has types. So uh, I could say yi ku ji dan, one egg, right? Uh, or san ku ji dan, three eggs. Or I could say san zhong ji dan three types of eggs. So we have an egg that's, uh, you know, uh, a brown egg. We have the one that's organic and we have the one that's factory farmed, right? So we have three types of eggs. San zhong ji dan, right? Uh, now, that anything that has types could potentially have zhong as its measure word if that's the thing that you're emphasizing, if you're emphasizing the difference in category. So we're going to do a test today of these san zhong ji dan. Which one is the healthiest? How do they look in the pan? Blah, blah, blah. You know, so the since the purpose is the category, we're not just counting three eggs, we're saying three types of eggs, right? So that's the idea there. Julie Lund on Guanxin context. Is yeah simply uses an emphasis before the negative expression bu guanxin. It would otherwise be weird to have an also in between. Yeah, so bu or bu uh, is a set phrase which basically means not even a little bit, right? So was saying you don't care about me in the slightest not even a little bit edian one bit also not right so it's like as if they're trying to say you know maybe you care even a little the littlest bit but it's like no 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 you don't care even one bit right so that's kind of how that works and you're going to see edarebu or edarebmei uh which would just be the same thing but in the past negating the past and that's just a it's just a way of saying you know you could say you don't care about me versus you don't care about me in the slightest that's all it is just an emphasis julie lund on song in context would it be less formal or incorrect to use gay instead of song gay just means the company gave me a phone it doesn't indicate that they gave it to you and it's yours now entirely. Like, so for if you say, then that means they gave you a phone and it's yours now. Whereas like, uh, because they they gifted it to you, right? That's what song means, right? So, um, whereas, you know, if you just say gay, it's a little bit less specific. It's not wrong, but it would be a little bit less specific. Julie Lund on Kaimen in context. Isn't it extremely clear that ni opens the door? Why have da kai men instead of 
just Dakai or Kaimen. Why all three? And I just have to point out how clever the rest of the sentence is. 我有话要说, I have words I want to speak. It just makes bloody sense. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, this is one of those questions I'm like, well, I don't know why specifically, other than it's perfectly fine to say, 你打开门, 你打开门. Like, it's like, 开门, you know, 你开门, 你打开门. Like, it's just different ways of saying the same thing. There's not really, like, an obvious explanation to me about why you would say the whole thing or, or you know. You wouldn't just say 打开, I would say that. You might say 开门, 你开门, but like 你打开门 is, I don't know. I mean, like sometimes if you're on the other side of a door and you're uh, knocking and they're not like, you know, opening the door or something, you might say, you know, open this door or like, you know, um, you open this door right now, young man. Like, I don't know. This is sort of like some Chinese person learning English could be like, why did they say you open this door right now? Like, couldn't they just say open this door? It's like, well, it's just different contexts. So uh, that's that's all I would say about that. Chris Lewis on 那些 in context. 那些花看起来很漂亮. Would this sentence work without 起来? What purpose does it serve? The only thing I can see in Pleco that might be relevant is this, used after a verb to indicate an impression. Well, uh, no, it wouldn't work without the chilai, because uh, no, it doesn't work. Because if you were to say it seems like you're saying that the, the flowers saw in that case. But if you say there's your subject, that appear to be. They give the impression and appear to be like that's kind of the idea of can plus chila you can say loads of things or can chila like uh uh ta bi qian pang. he looks to be fatter than before uh you know it looks like this refrigerator doesn't have electricity right yeah, whatever just there's it, it's a way of expressing something but not being super clear about it necessarily right off the bat Next, we're going to share some of the vocab living links that were submitted this week. And essentially, the vocab living links are the ideas that you come up with to connect to a vocab word to help you remember it more quickly. So first, we have Ryan Sayed on vocab unlocked from nei, nei xin, and yi nei. One's nei xin, nation, is a part of one's innermost being. So yeah, nei xin means like within your heart or your innermost you know, heart. And of course, nation sounds like nation. So that's a good connection because, yeah, a lot of people feel uh, that their nation is a part of who they are and their innermost being. And the other word in this lesson is ine, ine, yeah, ine, in, bin, he, nays like a horse. And that's weird because he's, it's within him. Maybe he's a horse within. <laughs> I like to just sort of like do the living links because ine means within something. So like, uh, Everybody needs to be quiet within this room. Um, and so ine, he nays. <laughs> and he's, he's like in there like, you know, just neighing in the room where you got to be quiet or whatever. So silly. You know, a silly type of thing, but, uh, you know, he nays, he nays. Sounds close enough. Chris Lewis on 一定. 
in context. Living link, eating, sounds like eating. Eating is certainly, definitely something I need to do every day. Well, yeah, nice. I just recently did a seven-day fast, so I'm like, I, not for me, but <laughs> but generally that's a good connection because, of course, most people are going to eat every day. Chris Lewis on xie in context. Living link, xie sounds like just share these. So, sure, you know, simple, just share, xie, uh, but, like, you can imagine in the context of kids that you're, like, saying, you know, all right, just share these, everyone, you know, then so, like, there's – you know that there's these and it's possible to share these. You can't always share if it's one thing. So like you have a bunch of candies. Just, yeah. uh, just share. Sure. Matt Schubert on Vocab Unlocked from Yung Fan Yung. A good mnemonic here for me is Newton's third law of physics. A reaction is the equal but opposite response to an action. So opposite or flip side, fan, response, Yung to an action. I like that. So that's a reaction. And that's what a fan yung is. Chris Lewis on Vocab Unlocked from Ling. Ling wai. Wai guo. Wai guo ren yi wai. Wai mian yi bian guo wai. And so he actually left several of these for this lesson. So let's see what he came up with. For Ling wai, he says, sounds like lean wai. I just drank another protein shake. I like that. So it's like kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> Of course, I don't want to be lean. Lean, why? And so you drink another protein shake, which would be a, a lot. Having two protein shakes would be quite a lot. Um, okay, nice. Let's move on to the next one. E-Y. E-Y sounds like he-Y. Part of the character looks like Spock. He's taken, as, he's taken us outside the neutral zone beyond... Beyond is also a 2016 Star Trek movie. <laughs> nice. Okay, great. So they've got the Star Trek connection. We got the outside and beyond and the beyond to because it looks like Spock. That's that's great. Sure. All right. Why mian? Sounds like why me and an are outside. So kind of like why me and. Uh, and he's kind of adding the and in parentheses there. We wanted to talk in private. So why me and and are me and Anne are outside. We wanted to talk in private. Sure, why not? That's the reason why people go outside. Why not? Why bien sounds like why are the bee and ant outside? That's where they live. Sure. Guo why sounds like go why because I want to go overseas. So I like it. It's several you know quick living links there that aren't necessarily like in and of themselves super profound. But they, it's amazing how well those things work. Uh, you'd think that it would be like, ah, how am I going to remember that? It's, it seems random. And sometimes that will be the case. But like many times you remember. So it's uh, quite useful. Chris Lewis on Dorma in context. Living link. Dorma sounds like do as in the sound of music. M. M is almost like do, re, mi, fa, so. And so... Dorma means so, like so much or so whatever. Like it's kind of got that that type of so. And so do, re, mi, fa, so. Uh, it's really so. But uh, still, that is a great connection to the sound of music. I like that, Chris. Awesome. Now let's do some full movie scene shares, full Hanzi movie method scenes. And we're going to start off with uh, Nick Sims on Make a Movie for Nye. This character is interesting because it has a stroke that is technically one stroke, and it's kind of a weird kind of combination uh, that comes up only in this 
character and several of its uh, children characters. So let's see here. Nas is in the bedroom of Grandma's Groves, which is the I set for him, AI, uh, when he encounters something to behold, another skilled poet. It's a tiny ant trained by Master Yoda. That's the uh, top component. Thus, having great knowledge and skill, it wields a samurai sword, battling a praying mantis while reciting poetry. Then he chops off a pincer. Only then does he complete the poem, indeed winning the battle. Therefore, he must be the greatest ant poet in the land. After all that I've seen, it is so. I like it. <laughs> Building on several different of, uh, of the kind of meanings that Nye uh, orbits. Nye is a very formal character, but again, it's a major important character in terms of uh, building some of his children characters. Will Rayleigh on Make a Movie for Pi. So Pi means to arrange and line up, and uh, you know, Pi Lie is uh, columns. If you can imagine that you have a, uh, an Excel spreadsheet, A, B, C, D, or columns there, or it could be columns in a classroom or something. Paul is in the AI's kitchen. A big floating finger rushes through Paul's kitchen's saloon doors, Faye, and makes and messes them up. Paul tells the big floating finger off for harming the saloon doors. Paul quickly goes over to the saloon doors and arranges and lines up them again very carefully. Yeah, and you could like zoom in on his face and see him like clearly arranging things. Uh, and you know, an anpai is one of the words you learn here, which is basically to plan things. So to plan in such a way that it creates an, which is peace. So that's like a, a good plan. A good plan makes everything work peacefully. So I always thought that's a good mnemonic for anpai as well. Nick Sims on make a movie for n, which is that, uh, it's that particle that you put at the end of a sentence to soften the tone, or sometimes you can use it to be a bit inquisitive uh, in non yes or no questions. Yes or no questions, you'll say ma, right? But like for no, you might say, it's a way of softening the tone in an inquisitive question to say basically like, uh, needs a malai jarna is a way, you could just say needs a malai jar, which would just mean that how did you get here? But if you say needs a malai jarna, oh, how did you get here? Right? So it's kind of like, um, it's a softener. Nas N is in the is on the roof of Barton Elementary E having a scary monster picnic. He tosses a chatter teeth mouth toy co uh, into the soup that his zombie sh friend is stirring with a ladle bee. Zombie offers a bit for Nas to taste. How does it taste, my friend? What's the answer? <laughs> he put a little pukey emoji there. So perfect. I love it. Awesome stuff. Nick Sims on Make a Movie for Saw. Uh, and so Saw is the major component in a couple of really common words, Saw, which means so, uh, and Saw, uh, which means all. But when it's used by itself, it often means a place of some sort in the context of like, okay, so like, for example, a Pai Chu Saw is a police station and Pai Chu means to send out. So like, it's the place where the police send out from. Uh, so Pai Chu Suo. Uh, you could have the Zhen Duan Suo, the diagnostician center or place. It's just gotta, it's like got this sense of the place and whatever comes before it is what that place does. So in this case, we're gonna give it the keyword of place. 
Superman is in the auditorium at Wyoming Church, truly feeling the message from the pastor and feeling the Holy Spirit flow through him. I like it. He pulls out the distorted piggy bank, which is the size of a small house, left side component, weighs it on a scale, right side component, and gives all of his money to the church. I love this place. So yeah, you could you could even maybe say that a church is a, mm, you know, a Jidu Jiao Suo. I mean, it's not the word for it is is um is Jiao Tang, but you could to give you the idea of how you would use Suo as a place, you would say the thing before it, which is Jidu Jiao Christianity. So a Jidu Jiao Suo would be like a, a place of Christianity. Now, again, the word for church is actually Jiao Tang, but it's just an idea. That's how you might use it. Will Rayleigh on Make a Movie for Zhu, which means job. Jerry is in the null set kitchen, and Jerry's ear swells into a huge ear. That's the left side component that grows so huge that it's a job now to have it cut off. <laughs> there, can, there can be only one for this job, Connor McLeod, which is the right side component, aka Highlander. There can be only one. <laughs> Connor McLeod comes along and cuts the huge ear off with his sword, and then Connor McLeod really was the only one for this job. And yeah, like, only one for this job is a really set phrase, so I think that that works clearly. And uh, maybe he puts on a, you know, work uniform that you personally associate very clearly with work, just to make it even clearer that it's, he's, he's going to work at his job now, and maybe he punches in or something, like, just to add a little bit clearer sense of job there, but otherwise a great scene. And that covers all of the scenes this week from the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Thank you so much for all the questions that were submitted this week. And uh, remember, we have that GoFundMe going that will help us get the advanced course out much sooner. So uh, if you'd like to donate to that, the link is below. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week.